beautiful today because where we are going in Exodus chapter 15 is what does Israel do when they see all of this on display and what they do is they worship. We get this, this beautiful moment of the entire nation coming together, which if you guys remember last week, there were, or a couple weeks ago, there were 600,000 men, not counting women and children. So if you just assumed, okay, there was one of each, you're, you're in the millions of people gathered together praising God. I can remember as, as a youth going to camp, and you're surrounded by you know, a couple hundred people all praising God, how powerful an environment that would be. How powerful with millions of people gathered together praising God. And, and as they are praising God, guys, we're going to see today, there's a couple specific practical things about what their praise looks like that we need to learn as, as the people of God. Because, guys, as we have kind of been in our own vision building season, we've been talking about, man, who, who is God to us? What does that mean for us? We've kind of been seeing how, how God forms his people, how God grows his people. We're building to next Sunday where we're going to have a lunch together after church. We're going to get to share with you guys uh, the different ministry areas uh, that we have available that we need you guys to come help us serve in. We're going to start a couple new ones. We're going to um, you just keep reengaging and keep supporting some of our ongoing ones. And it's going to be kind of that moment where we're like, okay, then what do we do, right? Like we, we, now we, we have to go and put legs to the action of, of what we've been learning just as the people of God have been learning about who he is. Now they're called to go do, but they take a moment to worship God. And it is, it is amazing. So we're, we're going to read just the first 21 verses of chapter 15 today because, guys, it, it, is, it is a wonderful song. This song is, is known in Scripture as the Song of Moses. We're going to see it's actually referenced a couple other times in Scripture. This, this song of praise, this response of worship, the Bible itself keeps coming back to and saying, this is what we are wanting. This is what we are after. So as we are reading today, guys, just, just keep all of this in mind. And, and, and I don't know how good your imaginations are. It would be tough for me to do. But try to imagine that you've got millions of people all declaring this at the same time. How, how powerful of an environment that would have been. Exodus 15, beginning in verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in the heap, and the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, and my hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind. The sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, 
among the gods. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like you? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, and they tremble. Pangs have ceased the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Until your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and you will plant them on your mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. God, we are, we are getting to see a, a beautiful, beautiful glimpse this morning of what it looks like when your people gather together to worship you. Father, as we read this this morning, as we look at this, Father, we, we desire to be just that right here, right now. A people gathered together to worship you. Father, as, as, we, as we see how you led your people to praise you, Father, may we praise you in the same way. God, as we see the work that you have done in delivering and redeeming your people, may we see how that work has been done in our lives and continues to be ongoing in our lives. And God, how you desire to do that work all throughout the New River Valley, the Commonwealth of Virginia, our country, our world. God, may we join with the people of Israel in this moment of worshiping you today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Guys, as we, we look at what this worship looks like, there's, there's three pieces to this. Okay, So when, when we come and we talk about worshiping God, praising God, what does that look like? And the three things we're going to talk about this morning is how we respond to God's deliverance and redemption by praising who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. What he, who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. And guys, for each of these, it's, it's important that we, we keep all three of these things together because when we let one slide or we, we grow kind of lax in one or we, we focus really heavily on one and forget the other two, it doesn't... It doesn't keep us in a right rhythm, a right balance of walking with the Lord. So all three of these are necessary. We're going to begin this morning by kind of going back through the song, and let's just see how they responded by praising who God is, okay? If you go back through the text, you see what, what do they talk about as far as who is God. If you go to verses 2 through 3, you notice what they declare about God. They say, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So they're saying, we know, God, that you're the one who's done all of this. You are at work on our behalf. You are our strength. God, not only are you at work, but you're the one we have placed our hope in. You're our song. And God, we have seen you deliver us. We have seen you redeem us. You have brought us 
out of our slavery to Egypt. God, you are, you are our salvation. And they continue, they say, this is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. Last week, we, we kind of pointed to the covenant, right? That the people of Israel were in a covenant relationship with God. He was their God, they were his people, and this, they're reminding themselves of that in this song, right? Who is their God? He is theirs, and they are, they are his because of what he has done to them. And, and because, solely because he is their God and they are his, man, he is worthy of their worship. Now, they, they call out so much more in this chapter, but guys, if he is our God and we are his people, that alone, he is worthy of our worship this morning. They continue in verse 3, they call out that the Lord is a man of war. That is that is a Hebrew phrase that is not often found in the Old Testament, but it gives us the picture that God is literally a God who fights, a God who is engaged. Because when we talked about this in our vision season, we are a people that are spiritual, right? There is a spiritual world. There is a spiritual battle that is going on for, for our physical world. And the, when they are declaring the Lord is a man of war, they're seeing him physically deliver his people, but they also know he is at work fighting the rulers, the powers, the principalities of, of these dark ages, as the scripture talks about. Our God is a man of war. And then they say the Lord is his name. And, and I don't know if you guys remember this, and this would be a mega gold star if you did. All the way back in Exodus chapter 5, God shares his name to Moses, and he, he points out to Moses, my people have not previously known my name, but they will now. Because as God is working to deliver and redeem his people, he wants them to know who he is, and the fullness of who he is is wrapped up in his name, Yahweh, I am who I am. So God goes from his people not knowing his name, to his, his messianic deliverance figure, Moses knowing his name, to now all the people, the millions of Israelites, are now praising who God is. They know him, and he knows them. You move into verses 6 and 7. They continue to just go on and on about who God is. They say, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. His, his power is to be praised, right? They, they were a people living in slavery for 430 years. And not only has he just brought them out of that, he has distanced them permanently from having to go back to Egypt and to live that way again. He has stripped away all the powers that were over them and that had been oppressing them. He has physically moved them into a place where they are free to be with him. How, how glorious is God's power to be praised? They, they declare, in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Now they're, now they're reminding themselves, hey, not only can our enemies not stand against you, we can't either. There is nothing that can stand against the power of our God. In verse 11, you see a beautiful declaration where they say, Who is like you, Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? They praise him because who he is is totally unparalleled, right? That there is nothing like God. Nothing can deliver and redeem as he can. Nothing can do glorious deeds. Nothing can do wonders to make things holy like he can. This, this, this song, this praise of the people is totally saturated with God, 
this is who we see you are. And why it's important for us when we talk about praising God, when we gather here, when we sing, when we pray, when we study scripture, why, why do we care if our lives declare who God is? Is Honestly, it, it's an area that we tend to struggle in, okay? This, just so you can see how, how I've had to grow through this, uh, last Valentine's Day, I asked Abigail to give me a journal so that I could get more consistent in writing out my prayers. Uh, and the inner engineer in me decided, you know, let's, let's have some fun with this. Let's see if you can pick up on patterns of how you pray. So I, I made five different categories, and I decided to, every time I wrote out a prayer, I'd stick it in one of the categories. And I'd do this for two, three months just to see, okay, when I pray and I come before God, do I tend to pray for one thing more than another? Do I, do I just have a pattern? I want to know, what does my default prayer life look like? And so I'll, I'll just share with you the five categories I put were prayers of character, right? Like, God, help me bear your image in this. Uh, God, I see this is who you are, and I need to be more like this. So that's kind of what we're looking at in Exodus here, praising God for who he is. We have prayers of process, asking God for help with things. God, I'm not sure what to do with this. God, I would love to see you at work over here. So prayers of process. Uh, Thanksgiving pretty straightforward, salvation for other people to come to know the Lord, and prayers of forgiveness, of just admitting to God, okay, God, I, here's where I see sin at work in my own life. The two to three months that I did that last year, here's the percentage breakdowns of what I found out. So this is how I tend to pray with no, nothing guiding me, nothing helping me, no, no cognitive thought of, man, I might not be praying in, in a certain way. Here's where it comes out. Smallest category, 3.8% of my prayers were prayers for salvation, right? Maybe, maybe that's not great as a pastor to admit, but without any kind of structure to my prayer life, very few of my prayers were for specific people to come to know the Lord. 7.8% of my prayers were forgiveness. Now, that, is, that is for sure dangerous as a pastor, that there, there was very little of my recognition before God of sin at work in my life. I can tell you that that has since changed but it was alarming to me to say, man, I do not, I'm not very actively aware of where sin is at work in my, my own life at that time. Prayers of character was third. It was at 20.6%. I thought that's, that's getting better, right? That one in five prayers to God is involved with God. I want to be your, your image in a certain way. But that still kind of felt low. 28.1% of my prayers were prayers of thanksgiving. God, thank you for, you know, just answering prayer. So then that would leave the last category, 39.7. 40% of my prayers were just asking God to do something for me. Saying, God, I don't know what to do here. God, I need you to do this. And if you add that with thank, like the thanksgiving prayers, 60, no, 70% of my prayer life was asking God to do something and thanking him for it. Right? Now, I, if, if you assume and you're hearing this going, yeah, my prayer life might you know, fit some of that similarly. This is not to condemn saying don't pray for these things. And, and I'm not honestly saying that it probably should all be the exact same number. I just say this to say I realized that without any structure, my default is not to praise God for who he is. Right? My, my default approach to God is, God, what can you do for me? God, I need help with something. And these are all good and holy, and we will talk about it, right things to go before God on. But our default nature is not to simply praise God, to remind ourselves and others of just who he is. 
And I realized going back and reading some of those prayers in preparation for this week, even when we do praise God for who he is, it's just a very narrow sliver of his character. You know, we, we praise God for being forgiving, for being loving, for, for being caring, for providing. Praise God. Those are all things he is and who he does, right? But when was the last time we praised God that he is a God of wrath, a God of judgment, a God of discipline, a God of, of order, of, of structure, a God that is holy, that is righteous? I mean, there's, there's so many things about the nature of God that we don't even instinctively gravitate towards because it just it feels unnatural. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different reasons why. But guys, we, we need to, as we are gathered together to worship, we have to remember to be praising him for who he is because we don't naturally go there. And I think, secondly, it requires us to know who God is deeply. And if you look at the state of the church across our country, you see the, the things that come out of the mouths of many people who profess to be Christian. The unfortunate reality is I, I think we struggle to praise God for who he is because we don't really know him. If we're going to praise God for who he is and what he does and what he will do, we have to know him. We have to be engaged actively with him on a personal level, in our, in our individual lives, in a corporate level, right? This is why we come to worship. This is why we're starting up some small groups. This is why we, we praise him. But we have to know our God in order to praise him. This is why our mission, our vision, our values here boil down to essentially relational discipleship, right? We want people to come to know God. That requires us knowing God. That requires us knowing other people so that we can bring them to come to know God. So this, this is what our mission, our vision, our values kind of essentially boil down to is we, we want people to know God. And because we know the more we know him, just like the people of Israel, they saw God on a grand display and they went and they worshiped on a grand display. We do that on Sunday mornings here as best we can. Uh, not, not grand as necessarily in technical proficiency, but grand is in. We are gathered together. How many other times do we get to gather together with this, this large a group to praise God in part for who he is? This is amazing and it is beautiful. And we get to see this in the lives of the Israelites. And thankfully, this, this is only one aspect that we praise God for, right? It may be the one we struggle with the most, but we praise God for who he is. We also praise God for what he has done. If we're going to respond to God's deliverance and redemption, we respond by praising who he is and what he's done. If you go back through the text, you look and you notice this is, this is actually where the song begins. In verse 1, the very first thing they say is, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. They, they start by reminding themselves of what has God done, right? He has delivered them. He has redeemed them. He's saved them. He's reclaimed his glory from Egypt. He's bringing them back into his presence. All in the first verse, they're reflecting upon this. They circle back to this after you know, talking about who God is. They come back to this in verses 4 through 5. And they continue to, to share more details. In their song, they're singing about the details of how God delivered them. They sing how Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast down into the sea. And then continuing on, the floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. They're praising 
Guys, this, this work of salvation was not a metaphor. This was not something that was like an ethereal. It kind of happened, and they, did, they literally saw God deliver them out of the hand of a literal physical enemy. Guys, just as God has literally truly redeemed us from the literal physical enemy of him being sin. In verses 8 through 10, they continue to call out these, these, these details. And, and, and I love the phrase in verse 8, at the blast of your nostrils. The idea that God just breathed out through his nose really strongly, and yet he's able to part the sea. Like that, that is the degree of power that our God has. He can just go, and the, and the sea parts. I mean, how, how amazing is it? They, they even call out in verse 9 how the enemy, Egypt in this case, sin for us, they, they pursue, they will overtake, they will divide. The desire shall have its fill of them. Like there is an active, physical, literal enemy that is coming against God's people desiring to control them, to, to take root of them. And God blows with the wind and whoosh, it's all gone. I mean, they, they are reminding themselves we are actively engaged in a, a physical and a spiritual struggle. And how powerful is our God to deliver and to redeem. In verses 12 through 13, they point out, and, and this is perhaps where the end of the song goes. We'll talk about more in a second. But one of the craziest things that the Israelites understood that so often we forget, he didn't just deliver and redeem them from that moment. He was delivering and redeeming them for all of eternity. They said, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. And then they, they start to, to go more broad. They zoom out. They say, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. They're, they're talking about themselves, but they're not using themselves as the example. They're saying, you're going to add to this number all the people that you've redeemed. You have guided all of them by your strength to your holy abode. He's not just brought them into the wilderness to be with him for this time. He's been bringing them into his presence for all eternity. So what's the importance for praising God for what he's done? Guys, when we praise God for what he has done in our lives, it reminds us of what is important to God. You know, as God has been teaching his people that what he does is he delivers and he redeems and he's been teaching them to remind themselves of it. Here you see them reminding themselves of it. They're praising God for the fact that he has delivered and redeemed them and it triggers in their minds, then this is what is important to God, that, that reclaiming his glory, delivering his people, bringing him into his presence. If this is who God is, if this is what he does, this must be important to God. And if it's important to God, and we understand from Genesis and throughout the whole scripture that we were made to bear his image, this must be important to us. That we must want to, to glorify God for the delivering and redeeming work he's done and to be leading others and doing likewise. Because, hey, if this is important to our God, it is important to us. Guys, when we, we praise God for what he's done, we, it reminds us of what's important to God. It also reminds us of our salvation, Right, that we, we take part in things as a church to remind us of who Christ is and what he's done for us on our behalf, just like the people of Israel are taking a moment to praise God for what he's done. I mean, th that is why as a church we, we have two ordinances uh, that we celebrate as, as often as we can in, in a regular rhythm. We have baptism 
and we have communion. I mean, baptism is a, a reminder to us of what Christ has done in our place, of, of bearing the death that we rightfully deserved as the punishment for our sin, and yet raising us to a new life with him. Baptism is a sign for the person, yes, that they have given their, their lives to Jesus, but it's a reminder for all of us watching, hey, this is what has happened to me, right? That Christ died in my place. I now have a new life because of Christ. So we celebrate baptism together because it's a reminder for the person being baptized just as much as is a reminder for us as a church. The Lord's Supper or communion is, is a meal that Jesus took place with his disciples, and I think it's in 1 Corinthians, he's teaching them, look, we, we took this meal because it reminds us of my, my body, which has been broken for you, my blood, which has been poured out for you, my presence, I will be coming back for you. So we, we take the Lord's Supper every month because it is a reminder to us of what God has done. He has broken his body for us, he has shed his blood for us, and he is coming back for us. So it reveals to us what's important to him. It reminds us of our salvation. It also reminds us of who we are to him. Guys, verse 13 is, is powerful. They declared that they are the people whom God has redeemed. I don't know about how many of you are or where you may be at this morning, but I know a lot of us have, are either sick or recovering from something or, or, or just walking through some incredibly difficult seasons. Guys, if we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, if, if Christ has been made our Lord and our Savior, we are the people whom God has redeemed. Just let that sink in this morning. They're the people whom you have redeemed, that God had guided them by his strength to his holy abode. Not only had God redeemed them, he had brought them into a new life with him. I didn't, didn't mean that they weren't going to face some of the same struggles and things of their, their previous life, but they had a new life with God. We often forget this, that this is who we are in Christ. There, there's a wonderful book that kind of fleshes this out a little bit further, but it uses different pronouns to say how many Christians typically tend to live toward God that says we, some of us try to live for God where our, our lives are marked by you know, doing, doing things for him in service. Some of, some of us, we tend to live life under God where we're trying to satisfy him just to like, get his favor, like he's watching out for us, to squish us the minute we do something wrong so we just want to you know, do things for him so that we get his blessing instead. So, some of us try to live life from God. You know, he's the God who gives good gifts. Who wouldn't want a nice gift, right? They get his, his blessings, his rewards. But guys, as Christ's followers, we are the people he has redeemed. We are people who have been brought back into a new life with him. Not, not of our merit, because God has given us his grace. We are the people he has redeemed, and we are the people who is being led into his presence, right? This, this is who we are. So when we are praising God for what he has done, we are reminding ourselves of who we are. And so if we don't, if we're forgetting to praise God for what he's done in our lives, then we forget fundamentally at our core who we are. So it's important for us to praise God for who he is, to, for what he has done. But I think even 
just as equally important, if not more so, and, and this personally, the one that I probably struggle with the most, praising God for what he will do, right? Praising God for what he will do. If you look down at, at verses 14 through 18, the end of the song, the shift that happens in verse 13 where the people are starting to think a little bit more about the future, man, this comes on full display here. The song ends with the news of God's work of deliverance and redemption being carried to all the nations. And you get in the first half of verse 16, the nations don't really understand what is going on. They, they see that God has totally wiped out Egypt's army and that Israel is now free. And they're thinking, is, is he going to come do that to us? Right? Like they're, they, they are, they're trembling in fear. Verse 16 describes them that they are as still as a stone. But the verse continues to say that they will not be like that forever. Moses and Israel declare in their praise of what God will do, that as the nations see God's glory alongside his people, that they will be drawn into his presence as well. Guys, let me just reread verse 16. You hear this together. Terror and dread fall upon the nations. Those who have no clue who God is or what he has done, they're seeing it. They, they don't understand it they're worried about what it might look like for them they are as still of the stone because of the greatness of God's arm till your people O Lord pass by the Hebrew word for till being like our English word until they are still until God's people pass by until the people pass by whom you have purchased and then verse 17 you will bring them them being plural pointing to all the nations, then all of them, as they see God's glory alongside God's people, all will be brought in and planted on God's mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, with which your hands have established. Guys, what this picture is, is God calling forth his people from all the nations into his presence to dwell with him for eternity. And we also see, I, I said that this this song gets referenced at other places in Scripture. In Revelation chapter 15, when the people and the angels are praising God together, we see in Revelation 15.3 that they are singing the song of Moses. They are singing this song. And after they sing these last verses here at the end of this song, they add to it in Revelation 15.4, all the nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. That as the nations see the people of God praising him and glorifying him, the nations will also be led to praise and to glorify God. It is, is a beautiful picture. And then you wonder, okay, so how will the nations know what this looks like? Verse 19, verse 20, verse 21, the end of this, it, it's very simple that you might not think about it at first, but guys, what does Moses do? As he is recording the book of Exodus to share with the people of God, right after he records them praising God and praising how all the nations will see God's people and be drawn into God's presence, he goes back and he tells them what just happened, right? As the people remind themselves that they have been delivered and redeemed, then they, can, they turn around and they praise God. That, that now Miriam turns around and now she is leading others to sing this song as well. Guys, it, it, when God's people praise God, when they glorify him, when they reflect his image, people notice. And it draws other people into the presence 
of God. This, you, you've, you've heard me talking a lot about bearing God's image over the, the past several weeks as we've been doing this. You see why this is so important, right? That as we bear God's image, people start to see who God is. So they are drawn into his presence. Why it's important for us to praise God for what he will do, guys, honestly and simply, it leads us to think and live beyond ourselves. It leads us to value others as our God sees them, right? We've been talking about how, in my own example, the way we praise God, our default nature doesn't, doesn't quite fit this, right? My default praising of who God is is usually based on the parts about him that I like best, Right? My, my default praise about what he's done is usually in terms of what he's done for me. Right, God has done amazing things in my life. But he has done amazing things in your lives that I have never seen in my life before. So if, I, if my view of God is purely restricted to just me praising him for what I have seen done, I am totally missing out. Because he has done wondrous works in each of your lives that if I never get to know you and I never get to see that, then, then I'm missing out. I'm missing out on getting to know you and on knowing who our God is. We praise God for what he will do. And I think this is, this is very particular to today. We love the idea that the nations will tremble when they see how powerful God is, right? Because, hey, if we're God's people, that makes us look pretty good, Right? That if, if the nations are trembling because they see God at work and we are God's people, they are trembling before us. That makes us feel great when you look at our world. But do we, do we remember the last piece of this, that as the nations see us, they're not led to keep fearing God and staying distant from him. Something about their interacting with God's people is drawing them into his presence. He desires all of his creation to be delivered and to be redeemed. This is, this is why all of this fits together. The Hebrew language at the end of the song, it, it's, it's intentional throughout, but it is, and you've, you've heard me call it a couple of pieces, but guys, it is, it is very, very particular in that shift in verse 13 to the end where now it's looking to the future. I think it's, it is amazing how... Yes, the Israelites are talking about themselves in a way. They, they've just seen God deliver them. They've just seen God redeem them. They know that this song is about them when they're singing, hey, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. But they don't place themselves in the song, right? They're not singing, you have led us in your steadfast love. You have led Israel whom you have redeemed. You have guided Israel. You've guided us by your strength to your holy boat. It's like they know this song is about us, but it is not just about us because we are going to see God deliver and redeem all the nations. And guys, if that was not true, you and I would not be here today. Praise be that the people of Israel knew here in Exodus 15 that God's deliverance and redemption would not just be something exclusive to the nation of Israel or to any particular group, but something that our God desired to have with all of his creation. It is, it's amazing. And, and guys, we see this echoed all throughout the New Testament. You see Christ command the disciples to take the message of who God is, what he's done, and what he will do 
to the nations in the Great Commission. And then you see him reminded of it when he comes back to visit the disciples last time in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You see Paul starts to pick up on this, and he carries it out when he declares in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, that God is not coming back making a distinction about who should be delivered and who should be redeemed. And if you're delivered and redeemed, then is one better than the other? He has come to redeem all of his creation. You see the Holy Spirit. This is one of, one of the wildest stories to me in the Bible that I, I just read in my quiet time a couple weeks ago. And we may end up having to have a whole sermon on this. But the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 11 gives Peter a vision where he drops a sheet down from heaven and there's tons of animals on it, right? That would be a very odd dream for most of us. But as this happens, he tells Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's thinking, I'm from a Jewish background. I can't eat half of those animals that that God has called some of them unclean. And God comes and he tells Peter, What God has made clean, do not call common. And Peter understands that God isn't really just telling him, okay, now you can go and eat whatever you want to, although that may have been an implication for Peter. He says later in Acts chapter 11, verse 12, he realizes when the group of Gentiles comes to his house, Peter's a former Jew. Jews and Gentiles did not associate But Peter recognizes because of this vision, he says in Acts chapter 11, verse 12, the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. That even Peter is recognizing God's deliverance and his redemption was not just exclusive to the people of the Old Testament, that God doesn't have an exclusive group in mind that this is for. He's desiring to deliver and redeem all the nations. And it's amazing. We read about that in the New Testament. And we're like, oh, so that's something that changed with Jesus. And it is. But it's almost like we think about like it's a new idea. Here the people of God in Exodus chapter 15 already know that this is coming. So guys, when we, are, when we talk about praising God, we praise him for who he is. We praise him for what he has done and what he is doing in our lives. But we also praise him for what he will do because it reminds us of our mission, our vision, our values of, of where God is trying to lead us, right? If, if God is designed to deliver and redeem all of his people, if we don't worship and praise him for that, then it really greatly skews what we do. Because we are a people who make distinctions. If the Holy Spirit doesn't make distinctions, and that is in the nature of God, if we are not living in the nature of God, we like to divide. We like to place ourselves in our groups because it's comfortable, right? This, 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 is, this is our nature as humans. You see that in culture. When we praise God for what he will do, we realize our God does not operate that way. Our God does not make distinctions. So as we close today, I want each of us to take a moment to pray because as we're talking about worship, this is something we do corporately, but our worship is a very deeply personal interaction between us and God. And so I want to give you guys just a moment to kind of think back over each of these three areas and whatever you may need to address or bring up before the Lord, or even if it's just to be quiet for 30 seconds, right? How often do we just get to sit in quiet for 30 seconds? in a week, and let the Holy Spirit maybe root out within us, okay, here's where I need you to grow in worship. Um, 
John and Kip and, and myself will, will put a little bit of music in the background and we will, I'll come back to close to pray. But, but as we do this, guys, in your personal time of getting to reflect and to pray with the Lord, just consider, first off, okay, have I truly given my life to this reality through making Christ my Savior and Lord, right? We have gotten to see several of you guys do that, and it is beautiful. If there's anybody in this morning that hasn't gotten to follow in that way, just to consider, if this is who God is and what he does and what he will do, is that reality in my life? That may be something you need to just take a moment and acknowledge before the Lord in prayer today. Another thing to consider, have I built daily rhythms to remind myself of who I am? And God, as, as God is, is showing the people to praise him, right? I mean, you, you hear me talk about it, but do I have time in his word? Do I have time with his people? Do I have time just out in his creation, right? There is something beautiful just about stepping outside. And I know it is freezing. It is very difficult to want to go outside. But we get in a dark place when we just stay inside because the beauty of our God's creation is also outside. Do I just take a moment out there? Do, how often am I in prayer? How often do I just sit before God and say, I don't know, God, whatever you need to tell me. Fasting. How often do I consciously give up something so that I can let the Holy Spirit take that place within me? Just do we have daily rhythms of just letting God be able to remind us of who he is and what he has done and what he is continuing to do? I think another, another way we need to respond this morning is where do I make distinctions that the Spirit does not? Right? If, if we by nature are people that try to make distinctions, where might I be doing that that I know the Spirit does not? Because if, I'm, if I know that what God will do is deliver and redeem all the nations into his presence, in order for me to, to accomplish that work, to join him in that work, I can't be placing distinctions and boxing myself in where God has not. So guys, as, as we just play a little bit of music in the background. We're going to give you a moment to pray as the Spirit leads you, and I will close in prayer, and then we will sing our, our last song this morning. I'll, I'll, I'll start us in prayer, and you guys, you guys and the Holy Spirit within you, just take it up and run with it. God, we are, we are grateful to have a glimpse of your people worshiping you in Scripture. God, we're, we're talking about this from Exodus 15, but we see glimpses all throughout Scripture. God, of what it looks like when we praise you. Father, we as a group come before you and, and just ask forgiveness, Lord, because we know our, our nature, we don't, we don't tend to praise who you are, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do together, God. We know in our default, we, we, we may lean one way over the other. God, these are all right. These are all healthy. These are all rhythms that you have given us to praise you in but father just as when we get out of sync with one rhythm god it it, it throws us off and it, it skews the way we see you it skews the way god especially if we don't see you rightly we don't see other people rightly father may may your spirit move within us just as we sang earlier before the sermon god to to show us man where where might we need to reorient some of our worship god May we be still before you, and then may we praise you.